In God's holy word to the book of Romans, chapter 1, uh, we'll begin reading God's very word in verse 16. And our text today, uh, we'll be looking particularly at verses 24 through 28. Hear now the word of the living God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty. For their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, give approval to those who practice them. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's bow before the Lord 
in prayer. Lord God, how we thank you for your holy word. How we thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And we thank you that we are not left to ourselves. How we thank you that in the fullness of time you gave your son to come and be the redeemer. We thank you, O Lord, that you are the one who not only gave your word, but you have preserved and kept it down through the ages, your holy, authoritative, infallible, inerrant word. And we thank you that you have given your blessed spirit to be the infallible teacher of your infallible word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come Oh, Lord Jesus, that you would unsheath your sword and you would preach your good news to our hearts this day. Lord Jesus, that you would come by your Spirit and preach your gospel to my heart and the hearts of your lambs that we would see your glory and we would delight in you as our pearl of great price. In Jesus we pray, amen. The Apostle Paul is describing now why we need the gospel. And we see in verses 18 and following of chapter 1 down through chapter 3, uh, uh, verse uh, 18, uh, that the reason we need the gospel is because of sin. The wrath of God is revealed, God tells us, and that wrath is revealed from heaven presently against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It is the truth that God is the creator and the sustainer of heaven and earth. It is the truth that we owe our maker. That is the truth that wicked man is seeking to suppress to deny. And we have seen that this truth is clearly proclaimed to every man, woman, and boy, and girl who has ever lived or ever will live. It is clearly perceived. And in the things that have been made in creation itself, so that everyone is without excuse. Instead of men and women giving thanks to God and honoring Him, they rebel. And so there are consequences. What does God's wrath look like? And we have considered this 
series of verses describing the consequences for sin. Here's what God's wrath presently looks like. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Last Lord's Day, we looked at this matter of God giving them up. And you see that in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. Down in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. And then down in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. This wrath of God can only be satisfied, can only be turned away by one remedy. And it is Jesus Christ and his redeeming work. Well, we want to look at verses 24 and down through 28. The first thing I want you to notice about the judgment of God upon the rebellion of the creature made in the image of God against our Creator is that God's wrath is poured out. And these verses describe for us the end of the line for those who would war against the Lord Jesus temporally. Notice the tense of the verb in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. And you remember we saw at the beginning of looking at these verses that there is a great day of wrath, a great day of judgment that will come. And so these verses are not looking at that truth. These verses are talking about in time, in history, the temporal consequences of sin. It's not an either-or situation. It's not that we're either going to have judgment on the great day or we'll have judgment in history. No, it is both. It is that in history, God is reminding everybody in the universe that he indeed is the holy, holy, holy God. And that sin bears a bitter fruit. Sin is real and its consequences are real. Chaos, destruction, misery, death, 
and then in the life to come, hell. This passage is focusing on the temporal consequences of sin. And I want you to notice that in verses 28 and following, we see that there are a lot of attending consequences that are judgments from Almighty God. That a society, an individual who says, I do not need God. I do not acknowledge God. I refuse to honor and worship and obey. I refuse to give thanks to the God who made me. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled. And here we have now this list of all kinds of, of horrifying sins. But I want you to notice verse 29, they were filled. And we will finish, Lord willing, looking at this section in the book of Romans next Lord's Day, looking at uh, this uh, summary of the things that lead up to the temporal conclusion of God's judgment. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness, malice. They are full. And notice the tense of the verbs, that these were things that led up to. Uh, it doesn't mean that they don't continue. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. There are all kinds of things in this passage that describe the rebellion against God, that God gives those who think they do not need God up to. But the section we're going to look at in verses 24 through 27 in the first part of 28 is describing the culmination of that rebellion temporally against Almighty God. When I lived in Philadelphia going to seminary there, um, the last two years that um, I was there, had the joy of uh, being married, and we lived north of the city. The first year I lived there on the campus of the seminary, and then the last two years, and uh, we would go to a drive to a little town and I would catch the train that would go down to Philadelphia. And there in that town of Doylestown, that was where the train ended. There, there, the tracks just ended there. That was it. 
Now, that was a real comfort for me when I was going home because I could relax. Going the other way, I really had to be on guard because if I didn't pay attention, I wouldn't get off at the right place. But going the other way, that the train couldn't go any further. That was it. It was the end of the line. And these verses that we are going to be looking at describe the end of the line temporally for God's judgment upon sin. Those who would seek to overthrow the truth that God made them and reigns over them, it has horrifying consequences. We see this description in Romans verses 28 and following, but where do all these things lead to? And here is the end of the line for a culture, for a nation that is in rebellion against Almighty God. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. As we will see in greater detail, homosexuality and lesbianism it is not uniquely sin. There are all kinds of expressions of sin. And this passage teaches for us that homosexuality is one sin among many sins. But it does teach us there is something uniquely perverted and debased about this particular sin. It is not uncommon in our day and time in evangelical circles to hear people get up and say that homosexuality is just like every other sin. Well, that is true and not true. It is true that homosexuality is not the only sin that will take a person to hell. All sin will destroy. 
for the wages of sin is death. But it is untrue that homosexuality and lesbianism is not in a class by its own. And this is one of the passages that reminds us of what is so awful about this sin. This is not a new sin. We see that this is a sin that is the result of denying God as the creator. It is a sin that sets aside in its most basic expression who God the creator made a person to be. Just think about that. Of all the ways a person can express rebellion against Almighty God, there is something uniquely perverse about the sin of homosexuality because that sin is shaking the fist in the face of God saying, I refuse to acknowledge that you made me to be a man or a woman to express sexuality in the way you created me to do that. We see that over and over in these verses. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among them. Yes, adultery and fornication are sins against Almighty God. Fornication, uh, uh, when people who are not married of the opposite sex are having sex together. God says that is sin. Adultery is when a man, a male, and a woman, a female, are sleeping with someone who is not their husband or their wife. And in Holy Scripture, God says that adultery is so horrible in God's sight, it is worthy of the death penalty. Fornication is not in that category. It is a sin that has horrifying consequences and will take people to hell. But homosexuality, is denying even nature itself. I will be very circumspect in what I say, but God did not design the human body to do what homosexuality involves. It is and has been referred to historically in our country as a sin against nature itself. And this passage of Scripture describes that. This sin of homosexuality and lesbianism is something that we see in the book of Genesis. It is referred to by our Lord Jesus Christ as an historical event that happened. 
The Lord Jesus, for example, in Matthew chapter 11 tells us that this city of Sodom and Gomorrah were actual cities. In verse 20 of Matthew 11, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And so what was it about Sodom? Well, turn with me to Genesis chapter 18 and chapter 19. Here we have in chapter 18 the two angels and the messenger of the Lord, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus himself, the Son of God, comes to the tent of Abraham. And in verse 16, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation, a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know it. Then the rest of chapter 18, we have Abraham praying and pleading with God for mercy. And he finally says, Lord, now this is the last time I'll speak. Please do not be angry with me. If there are ten righteous people found, ten righteous men found in Sodom, would you spare the city for the sake of the ten? And we read in verse 32, Then he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of the ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. 
And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, bring, uh, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. And now we will deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. And then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. As they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. And therefore the name of that city was called Zoar. And Zoar in Hebrew means little. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord 
rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. We are living in a day where there is much rebellion against the Lord. There are wicked people in our land who have said that God's judgment was upon Sodom and Gomorrah because they did not practice hospitality. Well, that is not what the text says, nor is it what the commentary that we have in the book of Jude and 2 Peter says. Turn with me to the book of Jude. And we read in verse 3 and following, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so I want you to notice verse 7. Verse 7 spells it out, doesn't it? Why was Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain judged? It was because the people indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. These men wanted to know. And you can read in Genesis chapter 4 that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. That's how the term is used. Over in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 2, we have the same testimony. Look in verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. 
And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who desire, who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. There are many other passages of Scripture that we could look at. Leviticus chapter 18, and I will let you read that on your own. It was a warning from Almighty God for His own people to not indulge in the perverted practices of the pagan nations that they were going into the promised land to dispossess. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. While this is a sin against nature, it is the end of the line It is not the unforgivable sin. Praise God. Jesus has the power to deliver men and women who are caught in this horrifying ultimate rebellion against the living God, even denying how God made them to express this basic function of being a man or a woman. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't let anybody come and lie to you and trick you into believing that people are born that way and they can't help how they are. You'll notice in this list, there are all kinds of things. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I'm just a thief. That's how I am. I can't help it. Uh, Or uh, someone who uh, would be uh, a, a, a swindler, a con man. That's just how I am. That's the way God made me. I can't help it. It's absurd. We do see uh, people spreading that lie about drunkenness. You hear people saying, well, that's just the way I am. No, these are all sins that people willingly give themselves to. They choose. And praise God, Jesus has the power to forgive and change those who are caught in these sins. Indeed, these sins are powerful, but Jesus is all-powerful. And he has the power to forgive and to change. Notice what we read in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, 
nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 11, such were some of you. Some of the people there in Corinth. The ESV, I think, in trying to capture uh, uh, what is going on in this uh, uh, list, says, nor men who practice homosexuality. Actually, there are two terms uh, that are given in the King James and the New American Standard, I think, better give two terms describing the effeminate nor the homosexual. In other words, those who would pretend to be a gender that God did not make them biologically to be. And those who engage in either thinking about uh, doing wrong or actually practicing, expressing sexuality against how God has designed us to live, to practice the marriage bed. God says these are sins. And Jesus has the power to forgive those who confess sin and repent, turning from it. Jesus not only has the power to forgive, but to change. One of the thrilling blessings I had many, many years ago was sharing the gospel with a young woman. Her dad had called me up and uh, this happened about 40 years ago. And I had the joy of coming and sitting down uh, with this young woman. And she uh, uh, believed that, that she was a lesbian. And as we looked at the scriptures together, I had the joy of sharing with her, no, you have been made in the image of God. And God created you to be a woman and to express sexuality in the bounds of marriage uh, with a man, a male. And if you pursue this path you are on, you are living against God. And it will result in all kinds of sorrow and heartache for you in this life and in the life to come, hell. Jesus, he can deliver you. Repent and believe in him. And what a joy it was to see this young woman hear the gospel and hope flamed in her heart. And she gave herself by the grace of God to followed Jesus. She repented of her sin and believed in Jesus. She not only became a Christian, but Jesus grew her in Christ. She experienced the joy of marrying a man several years later, and she had a family and little children. That's the power of Jesus. And that is what is needed. 
In our day and time, people say it is unloving to oppose transgenderism or homosexuality. Well, actually, the opposite is just the case. God's love is doing what God says is right to, with, and for another person from a heart of compassion. 1 John chapter 5, God tells us, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And so... Contrary to what the world is telling us, to show God's love is that we tell people who are caught in this web of sin, of homosexuality and lesbianism, that is not right in God's sight. That is sinful. And Jesus' wrath will be upon you in an increasing way if you keep going down this path. His wrath is resting upon you now, and there is nothing but sorrow and heartache that awaits you. And Jesus, he will deliver you from this sin. He will forgive you, and he will make you a new creation in Christ. This sin carries temporal and eternal consequences. They not only experience God's displeasure, but receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. Receiving in their own bodies the consequences. God tells us, warns us, Homosexuality itself is God's judgment upon a society that denies him. But praise God, Jesus has the power to deliver. And the church at Corinth had people in it, and such were some of you. There were people in that congregation who used to be fornicators. But Jesus had brought them unto himself. There were people in that congregation who used to be adulterers, but Jesus had grabbed hold of them and granted them repentance and faith in Jesus. There were some people who used to be effeminate, denying how God had made them, and Jesus had convicted them of the truth and the gospel and they repented and turned from living in rebellion against God and Jesus had not only forgiven them but changed them and made them a new creation in Christ. Homosexuals, you know, in uh, one of the denominations uh, that's supposed to be a conservative denomination 
in our country, the Presbyterian Church in America. One of the heresies that is, is growing in that denomination is that a person can, as long as they don't practice homosexuality, they can be uh, homosexual in just their mind. And that is okay. It's called side B homosexuality. What do we say to things like this? Well, we say God says in his word that just the way we think matters to God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if you have lust in your heart for a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And Jesus calls upon men and women who are seeking to deny how God made them and how God says they ought to express their sexuality with someone of the opposite sex in the bounds of marriage. That's what God says. And in this day and time, this notion that you can be a man but trapped in the wrong body. It, it, it is, is denying what Scripture tells us. The Lord Jesus tells us there are not hundreds of genders. There are two. And God made them from the beginning, male and female. And male corresponds, your gender corresponds with your biological sex. If you have XY chromosomes, you are a man. You are a guy. That's how God made you. And he calls upon you men. He calls upon us to act like men. To be a man. And if God blesses you uh, to pursue marriage with someone of the opposite sex, a woman who is a female who has XX chromosomes, that's what God Almighty reveals to us in Holy Scripture. And so the loving thing for us to do is to tell people the truth. That Jesus has the power to forgive you for breaking his holy commandments. The seventh commandment says thou shalt not commit adultery. And that commandment includes all sexual sins, including homosexuality and lesbianism. God says that we are to express our sexuality only in the bounds of marriage as God defines marriage. The Supreme Court of the United States of America is wrong. They sinned. They need to repent. May God have mercy upon us. We stand upon the word of God. And this passage of Romans chapter 1 tells us that homosexuality and lesbianism is a sin, but it is not the unforgivable sin. 
and we have the joy of sharing the message of life and hope that those who repent and turn to Jesus, he will forgive and make them a new creation. He will grow them up to be what God made them to be, a man or a woman, and to live and think in all of their life according to his paths. Our culture hates that message. Our culture has taken this perversion and celebrates it and calls it Pride Month and Pride Parades. Indeed, it is the height of arrogance. And we are at the end of the line. Any culture where you see homosexuality prevalent and accepted and celebrated, that is the culture that is under the fierce judgment and holy, righteous anger of God Almighty. But there is hope. In Jesus. They have taken the sign of the covenant, the rainbow that God gave and continues to use, and have said, This is our symbol of our rebellion against Almighty God. They cannot have it, it belongs to God Almighty. We see not only that the Lord said as long as the earth remains, his promise is firm, and that whenever that rainbow is displayed in the clouds, it is a reminder to us, and God said a reminder to himself that he would never again destroy the world by a flood of water. A judgment is coming that will be a judgment of fire. But that rainbow we see in the book of Revelation chapter 4 is surrounding the throne of God Almighty in heaven. And I tell you, it is not the symbol of arrogance and rebellion against Almighty God in sexual perversion, which is the sin against nature. But it is the reminder and the declaration that God Almighty reigns on high and that he is the faithful God to his promises. As I got out of the car this morning here in the parking lot, it was a little brisk this morning, was it not? And we were talking as we walked through the parking lot with a dear brother and sister in Christ who uh, had come and we we were just talking together about how sweet it was, the promise of God. In Genesis chapter 8, that the Lord had promised as long as the earth remains, there would be the four seasons. And after wintertime, what season comes? Springtime. Yes. And God is faithful to his word. And that rainbow is the symbol of God's power and goodness and faithfulness. Our culture is under the wrath of God. Run to Jesus. 
He alone can save. Run to Jesus. That's what the book of Romans is telling us. The hour is late. We are at the end of the line. God's wrath is upon this nation. We ought to have a sense of urgency in sharing the gospel with family and friends. We ought to be even more hungry for the Lord Jesus Christ ourselves in the face of the destruction that is coming and already falling upon our land. Jesus, the Savior, He alone can forgive us. He's the great prophet. I love the little child's catechism. Why do I need Jesus as my prophet? I love the answer. Because I am ignorant. <laughs> and oh, how we see that in the face of this culture. Our culture has turned everything on its head. We need Jesus to speak to us his word, the Holy Scriptures about the most basic things of life, telling us who God is and who we are and what's right and what's wrong. Why do I need Jesus as my great high priest? Because I am sinful. Apart from the grace of God, as we see in this passage, why do we need the gospel? Because we are all fallen in Adam. And what is it that Jesus does as the priest? He died on the cross to pay for our sin. And he gives to us hearts of repentance to hate and turn from warring against God, breaking his holy commandments, and to turn to him and believe in him. Prophet, priest, king. Why do I need Jesus as my king? Because I'm weak and helpless. Praise God, Jesus has the power. He has the power to forgive us and change us. And such were some of you. It's a message of life and hope that we have for family members and neighbors and people who are caught in the web of sin. We confess Jesus. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We want to honor God and give thanks to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word Lord, we live in a day and an age where there is much rebellion. And Lord, compromise even among uh, uh, the visible church. Lord, the prominent pastor, Alistair Begg, who uh, compromised recently. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would come by your spirit and, and write these verses upon our hearts. That Lord, we would confess and hang on to you, Lord Jesus, as our Redeemer, 
And we would not be ashamed of the gospel to stand upon your word in our day to tell and share the message of life and hope and forgiveness and mercy and your kind of love. Oh, Lord, bless now as we sing and as we conclude our worship. We make our prayer to you, the holy, holy, holy God, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.